right, everybody. So today we have Chris Duffin with us, the uh, mad scientist. So welcome, Chris. Thanks, Dave. So uh, I actually came across you a long time ago on the Iron Addicts forums, um, and I kind of wanted to get into your oh, background. Dang, that, is, that, that, is a, that is a ways back. <laughs> yeah, a long time ago. Um, you know, when Wesley was around, and he and I actually worked together a little bit, um, and then John Pinder took over. So yeah, I, I know you from yeah. way back then. I, I still talk to John every now and again, and uh, one of the other uh, fellow, because mo- I was a moderator there. Uh, yeah. Um, but uh, another one of them has done pretty well, Ben Bruno. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's doing pretty well for himself. I'm going to head down and see him, actually, in the next couple months. So. Oh, really? Cool. Yep. Yeah, I remember him from back then, and then I saw he's like writing articles now on Teenage. I mean, he's, he's definitely blown up a lot since those days. Oh, right. you should look at his client list. It's like Justin Timberlake, Kate Upton, Chelsea Hamm. Oh, Hammer. wow. Tons of NBA, NBA and F- NFL professionals. No, he, he lives in 90210 and does oh, all the very time. So it's pretty, go check out his Instagram. It's pretty funny. He's, wow. uh, he's, uh, he's a good dude. So anyway. Yeah, very cool. Um, so anyway, you know, like I said before, one of the, the main things with this podcast is donating to charity for each one. And I like to get a unique one for every guest. So I know a while back when we had first started talking on Facebook, you were doing um, kind of like a, a month-long deadlift challenge, right? And you were deadlifting yep. how much every day? Uh, 880 pounds. Well, yeah. 881 pounds, uh, 400 kilograms. Yeah, pr- pretty insane. And, uh, uh, <laughs> and, and that was for Alex's lemonade stand, right? So Yeah, so I've done, a, I've done a number of charity fundraisers like that. And, uh, um, you know, Alex's uh, lemonade stand really stands out uh, to me. Uh, just uh, it's a great charity. Basically, all the funds go to childhood cancer research, and the story behind it is just really, really powerful. Um, I, uh, I've uh, spoken with Alex's mother, um, so Alex has passed away. She started the fundraiser when she was, I believe, six years old. Uh, she was diagnosed with cancer, and um, she said she was going to start a lemonade stand to raise money for research, and she was going to raise a million dollars. And uh, with her lemonade stand, and she did that, and wow. it has continued on. And I'm not sure where they're at, but it's like somewhere in the neighborhood of like six, sixty or eighty million dollars that they've raised. Because um, it's uh, she passed away at eight years old, um, but uh, uh, she really did a lot and just kept like persevering. And uh, uh, you know, just hearing that story in person from her mother as well, oh, sure. uh, just it, it really drives drives home. And uh, uh, my business partner recently had uh, one of his grandkids had. Uh, had uh, cancer, and uh, they were able to fight through that, um, caught it early enough, but uh, that was happening like right before this as well. So, so Wow. Um, yeah, so anyway. obviously, you, <laughs> very, very good cause, um, yep. and so that, that's where my donation today will go, and we'll also have a link below in the description, so anybody who's listening, if you want to donate as well, you know, that's obviously appreciated. Um, so, you know, like I said, you, you have a, a very long history in this endeavor, and the first time I, I guess I knew you were a big deal is because, like I said, I had worked with Wesley, who was the main moderator of Iron Addicts. And I remember just reading a post of his that he was very impressed with you. And so I was like, oh, well, you know, that, that's a big deal then because I don't think he was very easily impressed. Um, and I saw some of your lifts kind of in the uh, little signature there on your username. And I was very impressed. And I know, you know those weren't even your PRs or anything as of this date. So can you just kind of give us a little background on, on how you even got into all this? Um, well, uh, lifting has been a big part of my life for a long time. So I think I started somewhere around 1988, 89, somewhere in there. Uh, so, uh, been at it for 30 years or so. Uh, yeah. so, 
little bit of experience. And I've always been just a really highly uh, technical nerd type. And um, I just always felt that there was, uh, you, you know, you need to you counterbalance that. And, uh, and so I've always really enjoyed like pushing my body to its physical limits uh, and also kind of the emotional side, mental side of, of that as, as well. And uh, I ended up, uh, you know, well, I was still working in the industry uh, outside of this at the time that uh, Iron Addicts was around, but uh, um, I ended up heading down a different path with my, my career initially. So I uh, got a couple engineering degrees, an MBA, and went into uh, corporate world and uh, kind of progressed through, uh, through, through the ranks and became a corporate executive doing company turnarounds and shit like that. And yeah. uh, in the interim, I owned a gym on the side because I was really frustrated with the quality of facilities. And I felt that there was three things that, um, you know, it was for very selfish reasons. Like I wanted to be the best. And yeah. so I knew I had to have the right tools. <laughs> I needed to have the right methods and the right environment. And so, so to, to bit, I basically had to build that. And so here I was, uh, you know, competing at a very high level. I was ranked number one in the world for like eight years straight. And, uh, you know, working this very high stress corporate career, competing against people that basically didn't have jobs, you know, they're right. maybe a gym owner or a trainer or whatever, but you know, that, you know, that's, and then here I am, you know, doing, doing all that and then having kids, hobbies and all that other stuff on top of it. So, right. uh, uh, so after oh, about 18 years of that, I decided it was, a uh, time to, uh, to chase it full time. And, uh, um, you know, in the course of building the gym and building all my equipment, like I said, I'm a highly technical nerd type. I was really frustrated with, uh, well, one, what I was seeing uh, across, uh, the internet as far as like what people were promoting for, you know, mentality, movement, all that sort of stuff within the lifting realm. It was leaving a lot of people broken. And then the, a lot of the equipment was just really not designed to optimize physical performance. And you kind of had to be in bad positions, other things, just work around to do it. Um, a big example of that is the straight barbell. Yeah. We use a straight barbell for all sorts of stuff. Squatting. When you're squatting with a straight barbell. So I'm going to go on a tangent for a yeah, second. Yeah, go for but it. But like, you know, it puts a huge load on a demand for uh, external rotation on the shoulders. Big stress on the bicep tendon insertion into the shoulder, right? And so if we compromise those things or let loosen the tension uh, in there, we go into extension, which then allows us we don't get good uh, stabilization of the torso because the diaphragm is not working in opposition to the pelvic floor. Now we're at risk for, you know, lumbar disc issues. And so it just goes down the road. Like, why? Because we're using a straight barbell and we got to fight against it to maintain position. So anyway, stuff like that. I'm just, well, I guess like you can kind of tell already. I'm kind of <laughs> passionate about this stuff. Yeah. So... So uh, I had the background in manufacturing because I'd run automotive manufacturing companies, aerospace manufacturing, electromechanical, all sorts of stuff. And uh, uh, I'm just like, well, I own a gym already. I've got a testing facility. I know manufacturing. Yeah. I know freaking movement. And by that time, I developed a really great network in the uh, kind of the, the research and rehab arena, which 
you can see if you go to the Kabuki Strength Advisory Board, you can see like people that have put their names behind our company, which include the likes of Dr. Stu McGill, Dr. Kelly Starrett, uh, Dean Somerset. We've got uh, uh, Sue Sue Falcone, you know, the first woman uh, strength coach, head strength coach in any professional sport in North America. Uh, we've got the current head strength coach for the L.A. Dodgers and the Cleveland Indians. Uh, we've got uh, the executive director for the Cl- the Cleveland Clinic, so arguably one of the best uh, uh, orthopedic yeah. surgeons in the world. These are the names of the people behind, like, supporting what we do. Yeah, that's uh, awesome. Is, so that's like the net. So I had a lot of background to I'm, – I'm running on tangents here, David, so you go no, you're going back in, go ahead. Uh, <laughs> but uh, – um, so that's where a lot of my philosophy on like movement and positions and all this sort of stuff, uh, training methodologies came out of and because, you know, I've got these people as friends and there's more than that, but these are, you right. know, um, Big names. And, uh, yeah, uh, name and names, you know, so I sound cool, you know, yeah, stuff. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but so was that always the case? I mean, you know, you've been doing this for 30 years or so, were you always passionate about these kind of technical aspects? I was always, yes. I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm someone that's a high level of attention to detail. I've got spreadsheets on everything. I've got, I'm constantly modifying, tinkering, you know, like I, I build, you know, one of my hobbies is building vehicles. I build vehicles from the ground up, like design my own axles and like, wow. you know, suspension, steering systems, uh, which is all, it's all the same stuff. It's a balance of stability and mobility and, um, you know, leverages and like, it's, it's, it's all the same thing. And so like, I look at a vehicle, I'm like, that's not designed right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so no, that's uh, very impressive, man. So, so that's just the way my brain works. And so, uh, yeah, I just got to a point. I'm like, I, I'm ready to, to take this on and, uh, go after it, uh, full steam. So four and a half years ago, yeah, four and a half years ago, I, uh, quit my main career. I already owned Kabuki strength. Uh, yeah. the gym and, uh, started Kabuki strength, the, the equipment company with my business partner with the gym. I've got a, a partner with this and I guess I have multiple partners now cause you know, we've got investors and you know, uh, yeah. board of directors and all that sort of stuff. Cause we're a pretty growing company. We'll put it that way. So, yeah. And can you explain uh, the name behind that Kabuki strength for people who don't know the background. Sure. Sure can. Um, so, um, it's, uh, it's actually pretty simple. So we talked about, uh, I said three things to make things, uh, uh, successful, right? Was equipment methods and environment. Well, environment helps affect some internal factors. Okay. Um, so if you have the right environment, it helps that, but, uh, you, we can't control, I can't control David, like your mental perspective on things. Sure. But, uh, what I can do is provide you the right tools and the right methods. So I have currently a company. Two, that has two different divisions. One is creating educational content. So we've got an entire staff of folks that are producing free educational content daily that's going across uh, um, you know, YouTube, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook. We've got subscription-based platforms for you know, more in-depth uh, content. We've got our website, written content, all that sort of stuff. So we've got a full staff of people doing that. That's the methodology. Okay. Mm-hmm. Seminars, we go in and we... Um, uh, we do private training for, uh, well, a lot of different major league baseball teams, a lot of different colleges. Um, so we have uh, public seminars and private seminars that we do for professional and collegiate teams. 
and then uh, the the equipment is the method is 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 the other side of it. But the last side of it is when you get in to whatever your sport or your training is, you've got to put your game day face on. Only you can bring the mental attitude, you know, and uh, and that's putting on your squat face, your kabuki face, your kabuki mask, and so. Um, Kabuki is a form of theater, but basically they'd put a mask on and go out and become another person. Um, it can also be tied to kind of that warrior mentality, same thing, where, you know, you've got, uh, you know, a village of people trying to protect themselves from, you know, you know, the, the marauders or whatever, right? Yeah. And, and to do that, you know, the people there have to transform and, you know, go fight and, you know, kill or maim or do whatever it is. But, and, and that's where a lot of the the background of like why people wear face paint and masks and stuff like that is the actual transformation to become another person that's going to do things mm -hmm. that you're not going to do normally. And so it's that mental transition. So Kabuki is get your squat face on. We'll provide okay. you the equipment and the methods. You need to put your game day face on when you step into the gym or on the platform or uh, on the field of play. Right. And uh, so I can try to uh, motivate you and provide you, uh, you know, the mental side of it. But at the end of the day, it's, you know, it's up to you and, cool. uh, which is actually, so that's, uh, a, a nice, uh, carryover into, uh, my book that just released today. Yeah. Go for and it. as of <laughs> literally five minutes. So, uh, went live at 8am today. Uh, we're at two thirty right now, uh, hit Amazon bestseller in three different categories already. Wow, man. So, Congrats. So anyway, um, but that's, uh, that piece is more around the inspiration, motivation and tools around the, the mental, emotional, spiritual side of things. So, it's a very, very cool piece. So anyway. No, that is cool. And, and so, we'll definitely go circle back around at the end uh, yeah. to, the, to the book too. Um, going going that's, into that's, the... That's how uh, Kabuki got started is just trying to put things out there and do things and correct things in the industry that I'm very passionate about. They were being done wrong. And just having a positive voice of change that's you know got some background and content behind it and yeah. to be able to uh to start driving a change in the equipment that people are using as well uh to be able to get them in better positions um you know the whole thing about strength training and the beauty of strength training is is the beauty of life itself okay so the beauty of life is is living and living is growing mm -hmm. and what is growing the only way that we grow is by adapting to stress okay and so, but not all stresses are necessarily good. So, sure. so eliminating those negative stresses and allowing us to, you know, to, to achieve, uh, you know, achieve our full potential in the gym, reduce injury risks, all those sorts of things. Right. Yeah. And, and again, I know we, you talk about how passionate you are. I think anybody listening can tell, like, this is not just a face you put on really, but I mean, for you, it, it's just an overall life passion. You're very clearly into it and you clearly want to help a lot of people. Uh, I think I, the first time I came across anything of yours that was more unique, like a little different, was the shoulder rock, which I think was the yep. first thing that you was had the created, first product. Right? Yeah. yeah, which was a little, which was a little risky because mace, mace swinging now is like a, a is a thing, like people. Yeah. But when I introduced the the mace, you know, the shoulder rock, which is a it's a loadable mace, mm -hmm. um, so it's just it's an improved, and I produced some educational content on how to use it correctly. But it was a very, very small, culty thing mm -hmm. um, that you might be able to find a few like YouTube videos on right. uh, people doing it, but they were not doing it correctly, by the way. And uh, and uh, 
Uh, so it was a little risky to like come out with a completely new product that nobody had ever seen before. But the thing is, like mace swinging done right is just incredibly powerful. It's the oldest weighted strength training piece of equipment there is. Mm-hmm. Like it dates back. People love to be all the kettlebell this or that, the blah, 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 that. I'm like, yeah, that, that's minuscule in comparison. Um, you know, the, 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 the gata is it's uh, traditionally called, it's been around for thousands of years. Mm-hmm. Why? Because it works. <laughs> that's why. <laughs> so what kind so. of benefits? Cause you mentioned two things there. Like obviously it helps people, but then you said a lot of people are doing it wrong yep. in some of the videos that I, I've seen of you, you, you break things down so specifically that I almost wonder, do you find that people who don't maybe get help from you directly are often kind of misguided in their way of using your tools? Um, well, so that's why we're an educational company first. A lot of our products are very new to the industry when they come out and it takes education. And so that's why we, um, that's why we have such a background with and the staff for, for on the educational side. So right there on our product pages, we put it there. We may email you potentially afterwards with videos um, and then, you know, put out a lot of just content that's uh, pushed across social media as well. Um, but uh, it's really important for us to get that educational aspect right. And because, yeah, I mean, um, <laughs> People just may not understand the fundamental mechanisms of what's going on. Um, And this goes across the board. Like, so most of the maces, so I said mace swinging is now a thing. Nearly every manufacturer out there uh, is making maces inappropriately. They're the wrong length. So they actually don't deliver the primary benefit because there's a a bit of neurology going on with the balance of uh, contraction to relaxation and you have to have a weight on a long on a, on a specific lever to actually force you to have the relaxation phase. Otherwise, you're doing nothing more than a kettlebell halo. Which kettlebell halo is a nice movement. It is not the same thing as a swing, though. And there, yeah. you know, if you want to talk, if we want to dive into some of the neurology that's going on there, we can. Um, but that's where the education comes in, pretty important, and actually understanding, you know, the background of what's actually happening in the body and why yeah. we're doing the things and what goal we're hoping to accomplish. Yeah. And where are you even, I guess, yourself getting this education? Because, I mean, the, the neurology of mace swing, I mean, it's just so outside of the realm of, you know, I've been doing this for 15 years myself, and, and I, I really couldn't even begin to tell you anything about it. So you're definitely, you know, in, in your own realm there. Yeah. So uh, I steal from all sorts of philosophies. So, um, so uh, uh, I, it's just part of, I guess, uh, how how my brain works. So I can see a lot of things from a lot of different um, uh, different disciplines, mm-hmm. and and that's the way. Like I see the interconnected webs of, and uh, so yeah, I've taken a lot of actual you know clinical based coursework. Extra you know, even though I haven't gone to school on the you know for for physical therapy or chiropractic or anything yeah. like that, um, I've taken a lot of the. Uh, uh, courses. continuing education courses yeah. and again basically getting to know the people that are teaching those courses or writing the books on the material so that if I've got questions I'm actually going much much deeper than most people would have access to yeah. um, so when I'm talking about the neurology there I'm actually stealing a bit uh, from a, a developmental kinesiology and uh-huh. and so um, some of the positionings and other things and it's just like I said under, understanding that that connected web and putting it together. Um, so with Mace Wing, uh, it's, it, 
nothing that we do is new, honestly, at the end of the day, right? Um, when I talk about neurology, it's, it's Muhammad Ali saying, float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. Right. Okay. It's that balance of athleticism. The speed to contraction is related to speed to, to, uh, or speed to relaxation is related to speed to contraction. Right. And, um, you know, maybe it's a bit, you know, my engineering brain at work as well. But, um, so if we're moving a kettlebell around our head, we're in a constant state of contraction. We never have a pure relaxation phase. So now if I put a weight on a giant lever, okay, and now I'm moving the shoulders, you know, and engaging all the muscles that support that entire shoulder girdle through their range of motion, right? And I've got this weight on a huge lever. I actually can't like hold it in certain positions within that movement. I can't slow it down. Mm -hmm. The movement is very dynamic. And so you have to, to accomplish a swing, you have to learn to relax. Okay. So if I take a big muscle bodybuilder and teach him to may swing, I actually have to start with a lot of weight. A lot of people are always like, oh, I, I need to start with it empty to learn. You can't. You have to have enough weight so that you can't control it at all times. Now we're taking that shoulder and we're, we, we've got a good stabilized core position. We're not going into extension patterns, right? And now we're turning off, we're pulsing all the muscles that support that shoulder girdle on and off as we move it through an entire range of motion. And that's, so a big problem uh, of why people start getting like the frozen back or restricted movements, right, is because we have, you know, you know these compensatory patterns kind of uh, developing, right, where if the right muscle stabilizing, and I'm, we could argue that this isn't actually right, but it's, a, it's an easy way to explain it, and it's pretty close to the, to, to the accuracy of it, is we have the wrong muscles getting tight to control, to, to stabilize that joint. And then we start getting the restrictions and the limitation in uh, mobility. If we want to really dive deeper than that, which would be like much more discussions. Yeah. Um, but it's, 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 a, it's a really good analogy to kind of see and understand what I'm talking about. Does that make sense? It does, yeah. So, and so uh, is it something that you think most people could benefit from? You look at a certain uh, client and say, this is something that you need specifically? No, it's, uh, it's, it's an incredible tool for nearly everyone. We have all yeah. sorts of... So I have, I have a lot of clinics that deal with uh, non-weightlifting non populations, and they use the shoulder rock uh, quite a bit. Okay. Um, so all sorts of athletic populations. What are, what are, let, let's talk about like, what are some of the basic issues that we see in populations today? Some of the most common, low back pain. And the other is <laughs> shoulder problems, right? Yeah. Uh, so these are two very prevalent issues that we see today. Why? Well, you know, well, we get to the root of it, breathing patterns, stress, all the, you know, uh, the sitting all the time, uh, yeah. you know, the research just around like, oh, I got to have good text position. It doesn't matter about good text position, sitting, staring at a screen, computers, cell phones, whatever is known to change breathing patterns and starting the, you know, uh, you know, tightening of those muscles. Uh, cause again, is the diaphragm stops working they're not working correctly for breathing patterns. We lose stabilization again this whole pathway starts going. And this is a, a great way of using movement to correct it. And that's wherever possible, that's what we want to do because that is the biggest fix is not to sit there and lay on a table and have somebody fix you, but is to exercise in a manner that, that, that corrects this stuff because that's, sure. again, 
that, that gives, it gives us an adaptive response as well. We, yeah. we get back yeah. to just what I've talked about at the beginning, right? All right, right. That's, that's why movement and load are such amazing things. Sure. Because, you know, we could go, oh, I'm going to go get a massage. It'll make you feel better. And, you know, the next day it's tight again. Right, right. Because, yeah. because of those things. And, yeah, we sell soft tissue tools. We've got an entire line of ISATM tools that we sell for a company. And I don't want you to use them. <laughs> it's the truth. But at times we're going to need to. We've got triage work. We've got whatever. Something pops up. But if somebody's relying on, I have to freaking foam all my IT bands every day yeah. before, I, before I squat. Well, shit. Sometimes you, you might not have to think about it and realize that you don't have an IT band problem. Yeah, yeah. You got a squat problem. So <laughs> <laughs> something I uh, I wanted to ask you about. I mean, it, it kind it kind of relates to this. Um, maybe slightly controversial is, is I saw a video of yours, hey, close to a year ago now, um, and it was talking about the hip thrust and ah uh, yes, and uh, you know everybody obviously knows there's a certain somebody who has gotten very popular regarding the popularization of the hip thrust, and yeah. I think you have some significant disagreements there. Um, so uh, if you're willing you know to. I'd yeah, sure. I'll, I'll dive it. into that. And yeah, we're talking about uh, Brett Contreras, uh, the glute guy. Uh, he's yep. a friend of mine. Um, and yeah, we have some different viewpoints here and we can discuss them openly. We're actually, I think, a lot more on common ground than most people believe we are. Mm-hmm. Um, my issue is because uh, if we look at, so this comes back to, to leverages again, basically. Um, and, and actually, some of the research that Brett has produced recently uh, reinforces my statement. So now we're I'll dive first uh, first into to, to that aspect of it because so many people my issue is not really with the hip thrust but with strength athletes using the hip thrust thinking that they're going to develop more power for squatting and deadlifting which I say is not going to happen. Mm. And more research now is saying that. Um and the other is if you go heavy and I think people this is the issue if people are trying to max out and this is where yeah. we differentiate because glute uh, bread does believe in maxing out on it. But when I've talked to him, he says, Oh no, most people shouldn't be going that heavy. Mm-hmm. But then he goes and maxes out. But, but anyway, yeah, right. Right. <laughs> uh, so, but, uh, um, so there's a couple different topics there. And so first one, uh, let's talk about uh, force vectors. So, um, very simple thing to understand. Well, I guess not. Right? There's a lot of different vectors we could add, you know, rotational vectors. and But the easiest is, this is very simple. Uh, strength athletes, barbell athletes, let's say weightlifters, strongmen, powerlifters, for example. And this was the issue when I posted this video. There was a bunch of people like posting like eight, 900 pound, you know, hip thrusters. And I'm like, people knock it off. You're not, you're wasting, like, stop this. Why? And uh, so that was, what my video, booty that's what my video was about. Well, so the hip thrust is, is a, is a, is a horizontal force vector. Mm-hmm. So yes, you're laying down and the weight's going up, but to your body, it's a horizontal vector. And as a strength athlete, nearly everything except for bench pressing, let's say, is an axial loaded vector. The weight coming down through the spine from the top into the ground, and you're resisting it going the opposite direction. Okay. So training the wrong vector. So running a prowler Running with a sled is going to help with aerobic capacity, but is not going to enhance your ability to handle more squatting, more deadlifting. And uh, so, again, now the research is coming out showing this. A hip thruster (laughs) develops your ability to sprint faster, horizontal vector, to jump farther, horizontal vector, but not enhance the ability to squat or deadlift more. 
Did they look at vertical jump? Uh, they did. And I don't believe it had an effect on the vertical jump either. Huh. So uh, it's, it's a horizontal force vector. So understand your vectors that you want to train. Okay? So if I'm a strength athlete, let's think about this. Um, sitting on a machine and doing uh, chest-supported rows to develop my, my lats, thinking that it's going to uh, you know, develop my deadlift, you could argue a little bit that you know, you're going to be able to have more mass there. But that vector, again, is a horizontal vector. It's a, it's a front-to-back vector. Um, and, uh, but a bent-over barbell row is going to transfer much better. Mm-hmm. It's a bit of a mix vector there because we've got a little bit of a horizontal and a little bit of axial. But now we've got a more of an axial bias in there. Not saying that's always the case because, hey, I need to look at my overall programming methodology and my frequency of my amount of axial loaded movement. And if I have too much, maybe that's where I need to pull up, a, a, you know, a, a barbell row out and go with something that's less. But understand the differences that's going to have in your training and where it's going to carry over to. And I think it's really important for anybody in both anybody that deals with athletic populations to understand and look at force vectors. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That is oh. interesting. Go, so the second on. part of that is um, the length from the, the hip to the knee and the length from the hip to the shoulder, okay? And how far those levers are. And so when you put a, a, a barbell across your hip and go to try to extend your hip, if you are an 800-pound deadlifter and you're doing an 800-pound hip thrust, it's impossible that you can maintain good spinal position. So you may be training the glutes independently, but you're not training the glutes how they should be working with good core stabilization, all that intra-abdominal pressurization, like all the thoracolumbar musculature and the abdominal musculature and the activity of the, the diaphragm and, and against the pelvic floor, like all that along with the rotation and alignment of the hip joint and then how the glutes are engaged and working with all that together. Mm-hmm. It will not happen because you will be in a rotated position at the pelvis. You'll be in, uh, what is that, anterior or posterior? No, that's anterior. You'll, you'll be tilted anteriorly. You'll be in an extended pattern through the torso. It will happen. It's simple fact. And I demonstrated this in that video or maybe a second follow-up video where I took a, a weight and hung it off the uh, two distances like that and used tension uh, meters to pull it apart. And I think uh, my math came up to basically anything. If you're an 800-pound deadlifter, well, let's just say for easy, easy math, a thousand-pound deadlifter, mm-hmm. you can only do a hip. You could only do a, a, a the same. So the force at the hip to reach full extension is 300 pounds. Wow! So quite a bit so less. Going over. So if you're going over three plates and. Uh, then maybe you're not maintaining position. Maybe you're not training the glutes in an athletic development pattern. Maybe you're just building a big booty. And that's what Brett's clientele is looking for. So right. Brett is 100% on. Mm-hmm. And so my argument is don't train super freaking heavy on the hip thruster. Guess what? I do them for um, develop. You know, we you go on my uh, subscription site for corrective movements and you'll see various different, you know, versions of it uh, when we're working on people that are struggling with uh, hip extension, uh, glute, glute engagement, all this sort of stuff. But we're typically doing 
body weight type stuff or very limited resistance. Now, in a situation like that, I, I guess two things I would wonder. I mean, so for one, for the people who are doing it for, you know, glute hypertrophy, it, it seems like it's okay then to go a little bit heavier. Um, yeah. And, and then secondly, kind of I'm what just you saying, saying it's, it's not it's not it's it's not going to carry over mm-hmm. into more athletic use of how that glute is working in a system through the entire body. Right. Could it yeah. indirectly kind of what you were saying with, you know, the, the building the lats or the deadlift, could it indirectly if you have bigger glutes, in theory, there's more potential for strength in that muscle. So that could help slightly for a deadlift or do you think it wouldn't even be worth it? Um, well, what we're seeing now in the research is that it doesn't. So, gotcha. yeah. Okay. Um, the other two, a lot of people think about the, uh, the glutes as a, you know, for being the primary hip extenders. Um, but I, I argue, uh, that, uh, our bigger issue is typically what I see is weak adductors. Mm. And so when we're, when we're getting that hip into a full extension pattern that actors play on the play, and if it's weak, we're going to have inhibition of the glutes for firing because we're going to have a compromised adductor. Um, so, you know, you're going to be fully limited. Like we could sit there and work the glutes all day long and build big, massive glutes. And if we're not addressing and balancing the relationship with the adductors, yeah. you're not going to be able to, you're not going to be able to use and recruit that muscle fiber when you need to. Now, do you have any specific recommendations to help that weak point of the weak adductors? Uh, one of my favorites is the Copenhagen adduction drill. So, um, and uh, if you look it up, you'll see it done in a sport application where another person's like holding the first person. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can look to our videos, and we just do it on a bench as a single person um, because okay. it, it was mostly done, um, well, Copenhagen. So it's a soccer, it was done in soccer originally, and that's where. Uh, um, that's why it's done on the field because there's a, uh, research shows a pretty significant reduction, I believe in, uh, uh, groin and hamstring, uh, strains, uh, okay. in the players. And, um, but it's a really powerful drill and we can also train it in a fully extended pattern. We can focus on IAP wearing it. So you're basically starting with, um, in a side plank. It's okay. basically a, it's a side plank, uh, with one, with the upper leg sitting on a bench and then you engage that uh, the adductor on the upper leg and pull the hip up into a fully neutral position and then pull the lower leg up to the bottom of the bench. So you're in this okay. full side plank position with the bottom leg completely unsupported. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got the, you know, you're resting on your elbow and you've got a nice, you know, packed shoulder. You're making sure you're not extended through the spine. You've got great IAP. And then you release at the hip and let your butt, your your torso sink down while maintaining a neutral torso position. So you're sinking through the hip. And then you also, at the same time, lower the lower leg um, so that as you come up, you're both engaging that lower adductor, not as hard, uh, and the upper adductor at once. And then switch over and do it on the other side. Uh, regressions would be doing that on a floor um, with the leg, with uh, just uh, the, the lower leg kind of resting on the floor and uh, just pulling yourself into a neutral position or doing it on a bench um, with uh, the support instead of at the ankle, uh, doing it you know, further up like towards the knee, particularly if you've got somebody with some knee issues or things like that. Again, you can find, if you just type this drill in, you'll probably see YouTube videos or Instagram videos of ours uh, up there, really well coached with detailed uh, stuff on there, but really incredible drill. Um, I love it is a, is a firing uh, tool as well. 
So it's a movement preparation before training. Um, and it gives you incredible feedback on how the body's, uh, how the body's working and where all that, all that stuff's, uh, feeling awesome. for the day. Nice, so. man. Yeah. And you're obviously very well known. I mean, overall, but especially for your deadlift. So for people who don't know, could you tell us what your PRs on the big three are? Yeah. So, um, my deadlift, well, we'll say two and three quarter. I didn't lock out the third rep, uh, was a thousand pounds and it is the, the first rep, uh, set the Guinness world record. Um, because I'm the only person that's ever deadlifted a thousand pounds in the sumo style. Um, this was done at a, uh, oh, wow. really? Yeah. Wow. So there's Guinness world record sitting on the wall over here. Well, not behind me. It's on another wall over here, but, uh, um, and I'm the only person that's ever done a thousand pound for reps on a deadlift. And I am also the lightest and the oldest person, uh, to ever deadlift a thousand pounds. Wow. So how old are you uh, now? Uh, I'm 42. 42. Okay. Wow, so, man, very impressive. <laughs> uh, the uh, the bench, um, and nothing too impressive there. Uh, my best is 500 pounds. Uh, my elbows, so this is kind of the thing that set me on the path of meeting all those people I talked to you about uh, yeah. earlier in this, the podcast. And um, uh, I destroyed those a long time ago, uh, along with you know some discs in my back and all sorts of other issues. I was kind of a mess. I had great technique of what looked like technique, but mm-hmm. didn't functionally have the right things happening in my body uh, over a decade ago. And I destroyed both my elbows. Um, also because I've got a neurological uh, disorder uh, as well, um, where I don't, feel, yeah. uh, I don't feel certain types of pain. So I was able to just oh. drive my elbow. Like, so anyway, I've got really bad elbows. I've pressed close to 600 pounds off my chest. I just can't get it to lock out. Yeah. So, Wow. So basically, I don't press anymore because of my elbows. I got really limited both flexion and extension, particularly in my right arm. Just Any type dam- of pressing. D- damage at this point, I can't really undo. I've had surgery on both of them wow. uh, to try to maintain uh, as much movement as possible. But that's that's the one that kind of set me on the path of where I am now, saying, yeah. hey, you need to dive further into this area. And this is what I do when I dive further into an area. So <laughs> yeah. Do you <laughs> do anything? Else. Do you do anything? Um, I mean... Obviously, your upper body still looks very developed. So, are you doing any maybe like isolation work that doesn't bother it or anything like that? Oh yeah, yeah. So, um, I just don't like pressing because my right arm doesn't go past ninety degrees, and so at the bottom of the 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 bench, uh, it'll it'll run into bone on the bone, which I don't feel. um, But that'll cause a little bit of forward uh, rotation of that right shoulder, which compromises that joint integrity. You know, if I continue at it, I'll end up with some shoulder pain after a while. Um, so I do a lot of cable work, um, and I do a lot of, you know, just other upper body work. I'm just kind of limited by amount of, uh, mostly flexion, uh, on the right arm kind of really limits my ability. So like overhead pressing stuff like that is really challenging cause I can't, sure. uh, it, you know, you can go, Oh, you can only go halfway, which is fine. But then as soon as you start fatiguing, you're going to start driving, you're not going to be able to maintain those position with both arm it, anyway. Right, so, right. So I'm kind of a little bit limited there. Uh, and then uh, squatting, um, I held the all-time world record in the 220-pound weight class uh, at 881 pounds. Um, it's since been beaten. That was, at the time, the heaviest, also the heaviest four times body weight squat in history. Wow. Um, I, my best uh, since then was uh, in the gym, in a meet I was training with four, was 944. Um, this is with just knee wraps. Um, and uh, that's what I'm currently training for right now is to do another final feat of strength uh, for, 
the squat. But uh, that's uh, so those are big like PRs. But my like my feet to strength stuff. I squatted 800 pounds every single day for 30 days. Is a fundraiser for the Special Olympics. Okay. Um, and this is something that nobody's ever come close to doing. Yeah. That How'd level you feel of after strength. That? Oh boy, I was messed up. People are like. Oh, what was your compensation from that? You know, how much did it add to your squat? And I'm like, I think you're missing the point here. Like, yeah. there's that's not a training program. That was something <laughs> that left me worse off. I did it sure. as a as a feat. That's uh, crazy. But you know, people are like, well, yeah, but it's only such and such percent of your squat. And you know, maybe I could do that too. And I'm like, you understand, 800 pounds is still 800 pounds. Right. So you know, 90 percent of a 500 pound squat still is not 800 pounds. So you still have the same joints and ligaments and, you know, like people kind of miss that. Yeah. (laughs) That's why nobody trains that heavy that frequently. Right. And then you mentioned the other one, which was uh, the Alex's lemonade stand. Uh, I deadlifted 400 kilo, 881 pounds every day for 17 days. Uh, Unfortunately, detached a hamstring and towards the end of that, uh, well, the last at, at the end of that, that's what uh, set that one off short. Um, that one was a little too aggressive. I knew that it, I knew that I wasn't going to make the 30 days and I knew that it would probably end in some sort of injury. Um, yeah. Um, which is, I I run the risk of that when I'm doing things that nobody's ever done before. So did you know that at the start or as it was progressing? No, I, I I was hopeful, but I, my intuition told me that I was a little too aggressive, but like, you know, 860 pounds or 855. I'm like, it's, I want that 400 key, and it's just like yeah. a few pounds less and it would have been like, it's just so pushing that, that the top end there. Sure. Um, everybody loves, uh, there's a great video of me doing a 675 pound deadlift for uh, 20 reps. And I think I did that in about 30 seconds or so. So, really? uh, so most, oh, a lot wow. of people consider that as the greatest like deadlifting feat, like, cause it's, it's yeah. pretty nutty. Watch the bar and it just like is, it's just moving so fast. I did that sumo and then I came back and did uh, 10 more conventional. I think I could have finished the other, uh, done other, another 10 and done 20 conventional, but I had to go puke. So uh, <laughs> kind of put that short. Did you just know too... like from the start, I mean, you just had this freak strength. When did that realization happen? Mm, um, well, in high school, uh, I remember when I was wrestling, I, you know, physically I could tell like when I tied up with somebody that I was stronger than anyone else. Like mm-hmm. I was strength training, but like anybody in the state, I could, I could physically dominate. So I'm like, yeah. okay, I definitely, you know, a little stronger than most people. Um, so even um, before you were weight training, you said, yeah. Wow. Uh, no, I was weight training then, but oh, it you was were? like, okay. you know, just part time to support sports and, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't do anything. It wasn't crazy strong, but I was, yeah, definitely. You know, I went to a small high school, but I was the strongest guy there. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and then, yeah, I wasn't like, like, you know, I was like state level strong for a long time and it's just been years and years. What my ability, what I've discovered is I recover much better than most people. And so now we add that up. That's why I'm 42 and we're seeing like my biggest feats of, you know, my biggest feats were performed from 38 to 42, not at 25, not at 22, not at 28 or 32. Um, because it's just been really additive for me because it wasn't, I'm genetically a little bit probably stronger than most, 
a little bit. <laughs> but my, I, I definitely recover a lot faster than anybody. And I, and I think these are, you know, things to, to admit, like a lot of, you know, top athletes will tell you, no, it's all work ethic. It's all blah, right. blah, blah. Right. Like, yes, it was for any of those. They did outwork everybody, but they were able to outwork everybody. Mm-hmm. So same for me. I've outworked everybody around me for 30 years, but I was also able to, sure. so, but I also had to do it. Right. <laughs> so, right. It's both. Of course. Yeah. yeah and wow. then, um, and then just figuring out the stuff that I, that I know now and that we teach at Kabuki strength, um, around, you know, movement methodologies, uh, joint position, uh, how to, how to effectively stabilize in the, in the right ways, create uh, the right tension through the body in the right areas. And, uh, that's really what's taken to the next level. I wouldn't be where I am without basically what we teach, uh, today. There's just no way. So, and And that's a a long process to really develop and flesh that out. How do you feel about the, the toll it takes on your body? Not just in terms of like, obviously, you know, your joints have gotten banged up over the years, but even just, you know, what's involved in being a, a high level power lifter. I think your weight's probably like upper 200 right like 270 something like that am i right yeah i'm sitting about 265 right now yeah, yeah. so just that that overall toll on you know the body is that something you worry about or, or not really so much at this point uh it is just it is just what it is you know honestly so um i don't regret it um i definitely have a long list of like we talked about some already of things that i have to deal with in my in my life that mm. you know that i'm I just have to deal with and, right. uh, um, but yeah, I, I don't regret anything. I definitely don't want people to follow in that path unless mm-hmm. they're, you know, really pushing the same, have the same, you know, perspective. Like there's a difference if you're going and trying to set, you know, a, do something that nobody in the world's ever done right. and being okay with the fact, Hey, if I go down with this squat, I may not come back up Yeah. versus, Hey, I'm going for a state record squat. You know, I'm going to do that. You know, like, no, no. So everything that we teach is, is how to, because that's one of the things I feel is significantly wrong with the industry is this pushing through pain mentality. And and I don't really, I don't do that. Um, but, uh, I do still continue to explore what the body, what, what, what our limitations are. And for me, it's really valuable because this is there's a big learning experience, and this is where we a lot of stuff com- develops, and it develops out of necess- necessity, the tools, the methods, the other things. Because when you're pushing that level, you learn things that, especially like these 30 day challenges, you, you're learning like a decade's worth of experience in 30 days. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I I don't know how else to explain it. So so for me, like that's what I love, and. And guess what? Guess what? I'm going to, there's a potential that I'm going to be hurt or broken from that, mm-hmm. but I'm going to be able to learn and share something in a manner that's going to help, you know, thousands, if not, you know, more people yeah. not be able to train and have strength training be nothing but an additive aspect of life, which is what it should be. Right. And I'm really and, glad you put that perspective on it just because in a sense, like, you know, you are at such a top level and this is, you know, what you do for your job. I mean, it's everything. And you could say the same, you know, Ronnie Coleman, right? I mean, look at his shape now, but I, I don't think he'd ever regret that. Muhammad Ali, you know, he's got all that brain damage, but he went down in history. 
I, and I do think that's awesome and it's inspiring. I think it's also important that people look at those and realize like that that's probably not something you should do in, unless you are a top 0.01 percenter, you know? It, exactly. We're not talking the one percenter. We're talking the, the point. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, and, and so, and that's what I'm really passionate about is like helping people not be there and teaching them not to be there. Right. And, and, uh, and, and honestly, I wouldn't have the injuries that I have right now, mm-hmm. um, except for this more recent, you know, hamstring, uh, issue, uh, from that deadlift challenge. Uh, I was just, I was too aggressive. And anyway, uh, but, uh, I wouldn't have the, the other problems that I mentioned if I knew now what I knew or yeah, if I knew 20 years ago, what I knew now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, for a long time I was like beating myself up. God, God, I didn't find the right people. I didn't find the right coaches. I didn't seek out the right. And then I'm like, wait a minute, this edu- this, this stuff wasn't around. Yeah. Like there's no one that, that there's no one that could have taught me this 20 years ago. Right. And, and, and I'm like that, Oh yeah, that's why I'm doing what I do now. Mm-hmm. All right. To, to get that out there because it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah. It's a good and, perspective. Uh, yeah. And so, so, um, like I said, and, and, and that's my whole goal. Like, I mean, I, I don't push into pain or push pet, you know, like when it's, you know, it's time, but it's like, Oh, we've got something going on. We're going to figure out how to address it and deal with it and then get back to it. Um, but, uh, uh, I'm still, yeah, like I said, I'm going to, I'm going to push things the way that I push things, but that's, it's yeah. different. It's different. It is different. Yeah. Oh, that's it. So uh, briefly, I'd just like to hear. Um, so there was actually an article that I had read years and years ago uh, by Dave Tate on T Nation. And it was just something where he said he was talking about how everybody's form is horrible. And he was talking about bench pressing. And he said, I could take anybody. And if I, you know, just with the tweaks of one session, I could add 50 pounds to their bench press. And, you know, I, I hear that. And I think, you know, probably just in part to write a good article. But do you think that for the average lifter, in one day, there are these techniques or, or flaws in their technique that you could just change this, that, and the other and really add, you know, 20, 30 pounds to a lift for the average person? Absolutely. We do it here all the time, every yeah. week. So, uh, so I mean, I, I can, I, I've taken multiple people that literally have been in so much pain, they can't squat. Mm-hmm. And in one session, gotten them out of pain, in their first session of squatting in, they've tripled their old PR. Tripled their old PR? Yes. With zero pain. And they were in pain yesterday. Jeez. And they haven't trained for six months. Wow. What so, were they, in that example, what were the numbers? Do you remember? What's that? In that uh, yeah, one was uh, 400 and uh, more recent was a 450-pound squatter. Wow. Um. So we do this all the time and I've got a great analogy for it. It's a car analogy because I love cars and the mechanical things. Right. And it goes back to the neurology and stuff like that. And it goes back to proper stabilization, tensioning in the body, good joint positions, all this stuff. Right. So if you're driving and you got one of these newfangled cars and it's got this little button in there for traction control on it. Mm -hmm. Okay. A lot of people think that when you have that traction control on, and you're driving, you're going around the corner with some ice or snow or water on it, uh, and one of the tires starts slipping, that it sends the power to the tire that's gripping. And that's not what happens. So the car is built much like we are. We've got connection to the ground, which is where everything power transfer starts. That's the tires or the feet in the human being. 
we've got our powertrain, which are our muscles, okay, putting that power through there. And then we've got our brain, which is the computer in the car. And then we've got neurology, which is all the sensors and everything that run out through the car and tell whether the tire is slipping, tell the transmission to do certain things, tell the engine to do certain things. So it's all pretty similar design and concept, right? And what actually happens is to prevent that car from crashing and injuring itself and you, which is exactly the same thing the body will do, okay. uh, is that traction control detunes the engine and, de and, and reduces the shift patterns, reduces power output. Okay. And so, so if we don't have good stabilization, and trust me, very few people, everybody thinks, oh, I know how to do this. They yeah. don't. I'm sorry. They don't. Um, but, uh, and I hate using, I haven't used the word bracing because, again, that's, uh, bracing is the, is a very small, p anyway, we're going to get into a long, long discussion if I go down this route. But, <laughs> um, so if we're, if we don't have a good stable platform and a great connection to the ground, our body is going to sense it. Just like if I went out on ice and tried to sprint it full force, obviously I'm not going to be able to hit record numbers because of the ice. But guess what? You're not actually going to be able to put full force into your foot to run. Your body will detune because it's the same thing. It doesn't want you to go flying off that corner and crashing a fiery, burning death. So it detunes your freaking system. That's yeah. what it does. So if I can take that stuff and turn off the traction control, okay, by getting those joints in a good position, teaching the proper stabilization patterns, having you root effectively to the ground, all of a sudden, performance that was already there, you're going to be able to realize. So now think about this. Think about it. What's that going to mean on a training cycle? Like, oh my God, what's that going to mean year over year? What's that going to mean over 10 years if this whole last 10 years I've been training in a detuned state? I've been working up to 450 pounds as in my max squat, but I've actually had the strength and capability to triple it. So I've been training way less than what I'm capable of this entire time because I have the, 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 the protective parts of my body turned on. This is the same, also the same reason, like, you know, why people, you know, their hips start tightening up from squatting. Got to do all that foam rolling. No, the body's trying to protect that joint because it's in a compromised position. So it starts tightening and reducing the mobility around that joint to prevent you from injuring yourself and making, doing some dramatic issue, you know, some, something major to, 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 to the body or that joint structure. Okay. So the same thing that causes us to have restricted mobility is also the same things that are shutting you off and not allowing you to realize your true performance. And this is now, the stuff that, this is the stuff that we teach. I don't yeah. want to dive too far into it because this is a, we've got, sure. we've got a, we've, we've got three courses, two days a piece that covers this. Uh, right. but, um, you know, I think with your background, you understand a bit of what I'm talking about, right? Sure, I mean, this is, sure. it, and, and so that's all it is. So one, that'll get the people out of pain if we're, t you know, you know, getting them in the right positions and having them stabilize effectively. So when I talk about pain with that, it's, we're talking about somebody with low back pain, Right. Um, or, you know, could be pain with extension in the hips, like all sorts of stuff, you know, same thing. Like, oh, I can't hit depth on the, I can't hit depth on my squat. It's, uh, you know, my hips, you know, I'm, I'm, I run into the acetabulum of my hip, you know, it's definitely impossible. Got to have my, my lifted heeled shoes. Um, got to stretch those hamstrings cause there's just no way they'll get there. 
And they've been doing that their entire life. There's not one person I've ever met that I can't, within 15 minutes, have them with zero stretching, squatting, you know, the person that says they can't squat to depth. Mm-hmm. But what happens? If we don't have a good stabilization in the torso uh, of the, you know, the qualities that I was talking about, we don't have those developed and we're not using them. We've got two muscles that immediately tighten, that pull the hip socket to the front of the, the hip and reduce the range of motion of the hip joint. Like, yes. <laughs> so we can, we can change this stuff, like instantly. And it's not hard to do. Yeah. And I, I mean, obviously that, that shows the value of going to these courses. I mean, there's so much, there's only so much you can, I think, say like online or something like you that. Got, that's what I said. Even video is hard. Like people are like, when yeah. are you going to write a book on this? I'm like, I'm not going to write a book on this. Like yeah, it's, it's hard tough. enough in video because people will say, oh, I've been following all your stuff when they show up at the seminar and you're like, okay, <laughs> touch, touch, touch. Okay. Oh all my right. God. I had no idea what you were really saying. I know. It's just, it, yeah, it's it's tough. really hard to translate this stuff. That's why I didn't want to dive down the sure. path of trying to explain it here. Um, it's not complex stuff. It's not like you know we're teaching rocket science or anything like that. But uh, it's definitely something that is much easier top with a little bit of tactile <laughs> work. So right, right. So before we we dive into the book a little bit, I just wanted to ask is like an actionable step for people. Um, again, obviously, if you most know you for your crazy deadlifts, if somebody said, and again most people aren't going to meet you in person. So if somebody said, um, you know, I'm really trying to hit a deadlift PR, I, I have a sticking point, maybe halfway up. Is there, I'm sure it's going to still depend on the person, but is, is there like a key advice you could say for the next month work on this? Yes, absolutely. Work on your setup. It's all in the tension and the start of the lift. So you're not going to fix your problem with a midway point or a lockout point by doing lockout work. The problem is not the logout. The problem is the start. The start defines everything. And how we're positioning and creating tension in the body appropriately to do that. You really need to nail that setup and start. Sometimes slower is a better. Um, So a lot of people that have that sticking point halfway up or at lockout, you'll see them when they start the deadlift, they have a really, they, they immediately move to a really high hip position extending the legs, which develops a lot because that link tension relationship develops a lot of explosive power, which is what we see uh, Olympic weightlifters do as well, because you will develop more power off the floor. But now you're going to stall out because you're in a poor position. And now you have to have, be able to, to, to finalize the lift. You have to pull your torso over the top of your hips to reclaim position under load and particularly as we get to maximal load, very, very hard to do. So if we can master the setup, you'll be able to maintain the torso over the top of the hips. And we're not talking stacking it like a squat, but it's still going to be in a leaned forward position. But we're going to be able to complete a hip, hip hinge without extra have to do what I call an erector lift. But you see these people halfway up, three quarters of the way up, they they stall out. First, first thing happens, like I said, they'll start shoot their legs up, have explosive power off the floor, and then be stuck trying to pull their back, trying to pull through their erectors to reclaim that torso position and get it over the top of the hips. We have to be in a position to never lose that. It will slow down the barbell a little bit off the ground when you do that. But one, (laughs) you'll quit freaking blowing your back out while you deadlift, and you're going to end up deadlifting more. Awesome, man. Thanks. Yeah, so let's just go into your book a little bit. 
you know, and of course I'll put a link down below for anybody who wants to check it out themselves. Okay. So, so I guess like, what was the idea behind it? You know, what's the main message behind it? So, um, yeah, it's a, uh, well, it's an autobiography in part, and, uh, it's something that people have told me I need to do for a really long time. So I have lived a, uh, a very unique lifestyle, uh, or unique life, um, per se. And, um, but I didn't, I wanted it to be much more than an autobiography. I want people to have some huge takeaways from this. And, uh, so this book is framed and written, um, so that every chapter has themes to it and it's driving you to ask questions of yourself and a deeper dive into it to understand truly what are your values? What do you value in life? And then what goals do you really need to establish off of that instead of just like picking goals, which I, a lot of people just do. Mm -hmm. um, but really aligning those goals to those values and then providing you both the inspiration and tools to live a life that realizes that. And so, so a little background on my history. So um, I, I essentially grew up homeless in the mountains, um, foraging for food, killing animals, um, uh, in Northern California. And, uh, uh, at one point we were taken in by the state. Me, I've, uh, three sisters and a brother were taken in by the state from our parents. Um, because, uh, you know, parents were dealing, growing drugs. Uh, it's, it's mostly legal, you know, in these parts these days anyway, mm -hmm. but sure wasn't back in the seventies uh, and eighties. So, yeah. um, and, uh, um, yeah, there's just some really crazy stuff I've dealt with. Murderers, a serial killer, human trafficking. Uh, wow. Some pretty freaking nasty shit. And That's I, all I, in the and book? It, it's all in the book. Uh, I came out, you know, came out of that. We got back together with our parents in, in Oregon. Um, had like a, a year of normality and then kind of same back into the living in the mountains. Uh, intense and, you know, whatnot you know, heating jugs of water in the sun so you could dump it over your head uh, to, uh, to bathe with. And uh, uh, ended up uh, getting in high school, you know, I graduated valedictorian, you know, state-level state athlete, uh, and uh, got a full-ride academic scholarship to go to college, um, which, uh, which I did. Before finishing college, I started taking custody of my three younger siblings, my sisters, uh, and I ended up raising all of them while I completed my engineering degrees and my master's degree and was working my career um, to get them out of the environment uh, that we grew up in because it got substantially worse. Um, ended up having a really successful uh, corporate life and career, um, doing some really cool, crazy stuff. And uh, uh, finally walked away from that to, to do exactly what I want to do and how I want to contribute in this world and create the culture and environment and all aspects that I believe in uh, around me. So I'm not a rich person as far as money goes, but I am rich in living the life that I choose to live and being the person that I choose to be. And uh, so that's the, that's the couple short story, but it's a, it's a pretty epic uh, story once you dive into the depths of it and uh, and in there's going to be some massive takeaways and evaluation uh, for yourself uh, in the process and so um, so for me kabuki strength I, I believe I believe in living better through strength 
that adversity and challenges will, will make us stronger versions of ourselves. We are not defined by those things that happen to us. We're defined by our actions from those things. Okay? And <clears throat> Kabuki strength covers the physical aspect of that, but it doesn't cover the mental, emotional, and spiritual sides of it. And so this is my piece to help people on that path. Wow. Awesome stuff, man. Um, you know, really powerful, powerful message. There's clearly a lot to you beyond just the, you know, ape level strength, uh, uh, very intelligent guy, compassionate guy. And uh, I really appreciate you coming on and sharing all that with us. It's been a pleasure. <laughs>